Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. This week, we'll be talking about how the 2020 Bahrain Grand Prix will be the first F1 race with no spectators since the 2019 Bahrain Grand Prix. Uh, we've also seen the first laps of the Zandvoort track, and we're banking on it to be a classic. Okay, this isn't working. I was trying a new thing. We're looking at the 2020 teammate battles as well and asking what's at stake for each driver. And of course, we'll be reviewing the Australian Grand Prix. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Great. I love your representation of the number one rule of comedy, which is when you have a good joke, beat it to death with a stick. I tweeted it one time and then I said it on here. That's absolutely valid. Possibly. Matt, uh, the off-season is finally at an end. So A, it has rolled by. It's been a really, really fun winter. And it just feels like, you know, the end of the night shift. You know, the the bosses have been away. uh, the, The staff numbers have been low. And we've just been messing around on the workshop floor. But now, suddenly, all the day workers are flooding in and it's starting to feel proper again. But part of me misses the off season when the season starts. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of fun because we have some more freedom to explore stuff and, and mess about and we don't have to be, there's just not as much stuff necessarily to get through so we can be a little more free flowing. But now the fire hose of facts has been turned on and it's just a gallop to the finish. Yep, it's super serious F1 journalist broadcasting from here on in. But we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by Chris uh, wearing a beautiful dad jumper. Chris, what has brought on this midlife clothes crisis at the age of 24? It's it's terrible, isn't it? Uh, you've even uh, added two years onto me there. Oh, so so are you only that. 22? I'm 22. Um, no, basically, I was I was in one of those 
uh, kind of like pro- probably a th- a, you call it maybe a gentleman shop. <laughs> it's the kind of place where they sell proper tweed jackets for two hundred and sixty pounds. And I, d- I wasn't looking at that. Well, I was sort of snooping at them, and uh, I saw this lovely, cozy, warm jumper, and I thought, oh. That that would suit me perfectly for this cold winter. That took way longer than I anticipated, that anecdote. So how old were you when you started doing Mist Apex stuff with us? Like 18. Wow, that is pointlessly young. Let's let's move down the panel grid order to an, a more appropriately aged person. In fact, <laughs> uh, it's fair to say, Bradley Philpot, you're like GT driver aged. You're the appropriate age for a sports car driver. That's exactly how I describe it too. <laughs> um, I'm just the right balance of youth and experience to be an ace GT driver. Somebody give me a drive. Well, we'll talk about you returning to the track, Brad. Uh, but first, let's uh, dig into the big dirty news. Big dirty news. Uh, let's go to Chris first. We have had our first look at Zandvoort or Zandvoort. How many ways can I say it? I think it's one of those fluid names that you can say any way you wish. Maybe. I've heard about, yeah, 27 different pronunciations of it. The one I always go with is Zandvoort um, because that's how it's spelt and it's the one I hear the most. And and it's probably probably because that's the name of the track. So we should probably stick with it for that reason. Zandvoort, it's been, uh, we've heard a lot about it. It's clearly on the calendar so that Max Verstappen fans have somewhere to watch him. Without Max Verstappen, there's no Zandvoort, I'm, I'm assuming. It looks like they've scrambled together, you know, parts of a, an old F1 circuit and tried to do the best they can, which has led to a lot of negativity from non-Max fans going, this is going to be, this is going to be Hungary, Monaco, Imola. Uh, what do you, what do you think from first look? I think it looks amazing. And um, I was really worried that they were going to really take away uh, what is uh, quite a special circuit from, you know, a a lot of other racing calendars. I mean, I think uh, DTM still goes there. Certainly a lot of GTs are there and it's a real challenging um, circuit. And I was really worried they were just going to get rid of every bit of gravel and just turn it into a Cota-esque car park where a couple of painted lines end up telling you, oh, this is actually where you're supposed to go. But actually, they have retained a lot of the essence of the circuit quite nicely. And uh, I think it looks absolutely mega. Matt, first impressions? I like it. Uh, From the in-car camera, the banking isn't as obvious as it is from the publicity photos they show, which I suppose is to be expected, really. Uh, I think it will be a good flowing circuit. Uh, But personally, to me, what's going to be the most fun is the large amount of sand that almost certainly will blow across the circuit in between every session and make life miserable uh, for the engineers. And I've seen, you know, you you reference the negative comments and I've seen every comment is, oh, there'll be no overtaking. And yet there are no like big, heavy braking zones and um, no, no real obvious opportunities for overtaking. But then I also looked to Silverstone by comparison, and that on paper shouldn't really work for great racing, but it's always one of the highlights of the year. So why don't we just wait and see what happens at the first race? Well, okay, right. I'm not as... I appreciate that optimism, but I've looked at that and gone, yeah, there's... there's You know, we've all been on those go-kart tracks where there's not a lot of stopping. There's not a lot of uh, peril, if you like, in the driving. It's about being smooth and getting round. 
but where are they actually going to pass and where are they going to race? Thankfully, we have a racing driver on the panel, Bradley Philpot uh, or Bra- Bradley uh, Pippot, as I said on Twitter earlier. Sorry about that, Brad. Uh, it did try to autocorrect it to Hippo. Uh, but what do you make of Zandvoort? So it's actually a track that I've never driven in real life, but I've always enjoyed it on Sims. And watching that video, I only watched one lap. I didn't watch it over and over, but I agree with you. It doesn't look like it's going to to be a hub of overtaking, but I'm also not someone who um, sees overtaking as the be all and end all in a Formula One race. I think there can be other elements sometimes at different circuits that we can enjoy. So this one's going to be a track that rewards driving the track really well and being fast and not making mistakes because there is some jeopardy if you get it wrong here. I think the other thing to take into consideration as well is that, well, and if this ends up happening, um, is that the pit lane supposedly will be incredibly short and a pit stop should only cost you like 13 seconds and it might push some teams into trying a two-stopper. And we keep on saying, you know, a bit more strategy variation and we get better races. So maybe that will balance things out a little bit. Or are we just getting to the point where with these old tracks, if we're going to keep them, we just have to accept that the rules have to be different for these tracks. So yes, you're right, Chris, you're right. Let's let's not prejudge. But all the signs point to, you know, a procession. There are so many old tracks still on the calendar, though, that are brilliant. I'm on I'm on Brad's side here. I think the question isn't, is it a procession? I think the question is, what kind of battling will we see within that procession? And the flowing nature of the track means that I I think it may not be as bad as everyone's making it out to be right now. When you have a track that is tough to overtake at, you can quite easily find yourself in a position where you've got cars that are holding other cars up and you have a train, which then is going to make the strategy super interesting because how many cars can you can you leap by, you know, pitting early and getting in clean air? Um, you know, who's going to, who's going to dive into the pits first? It's just other elements to enjoy aside from just outbreaking someone at the end of a straight. It's not, it doesn't have to always be about that. Well, I'm with you, Brad, the, the situation we find ourselves in F1 and hopefully not anymore in 2021 is that, you know, if we're in MX-5s or carts and it's hard to overtake, you put yourself right on the bumper of that car and you try and force a mistake. And then when you force that mistake, you you avoid it and make sure that you're not involved in an accident. But currently, F1 cars, they can't just get right in the gearbox and put pressure on. And as a driver, if your aero is disrupting a guy for two seconds behind you and he can't get that close, doesn't that kind of take that pressure off and remove the elements that a tight circuit can provide as a spectacle? I agree to a point, but then if that is the case, that just leads to what I was mentioning a moment ago. You get out of that situation, pit earlier, get yourself in clear air and shake the strategy up a bit. Uh, yeah. Alex Arby also points out the very salient fact that it's being located where it is means that it tends to rain rather a lot. So we could have changeable okay. weather just to make things more fun. Good. I'm on board with that. So like I was saying to Chris earlier, um, we can change the rules for specific tracks to make them more interesting. If this is a track that's got sand on the track and rain, great. That's going to become a great feature of the Formula One calendar. You know, I've long said with Monaco, why not make it a a three-stop race? You've got to introduce something into these old tracks to make them viable. Monaco's a dud. Uh, Come fight me. Oh, you've got to be there to see the spectacle of it. Monaco's a dud. Change something. Make, uh, Make it so that you can do certain things with the cars that will make it better, you know, have 
obviously ridiculous, but you say have a special fleet of F1 cars specifically for Monaco. Uh, Matt, has our wonderful chat room distracted you to distraction? Uh, yes, indeed they have with many hilarious destined to be comment of the week uh, comments. Uh, my favorite being currently from iHammer, other elements that might make an interesting race. It's close to the North Sea, so maybe a German kite surfer might get sucked into a side pod. Excellent. Thank you very much to our live chat room for joining us. Uh, we are an audio podcast. We have accidentally become a YouTube channel because we wanted to have a way for people to watch us recording live and give us input. And frankly, Matt, rescue us when we have a, a lack of information. And we've built up a lovely community in our live chat room in the races. Uh, we Last season, we were getting up to 3,000 people. So you'd have 700 people at a time in a, a very busy, cool and lovely chat room. So search for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and subscribe to us there. And then you can, you don't have to, but every now and then pop into our live chat and see what our live streams are like. You may be surprised. Uh, banking. Let's talk about banking. Now, this is, Chris, a very obvious selling point, and the FIA are absolutely hammering it to death. Oh, everyone, look, look, part of the track is a bit slopey, but I I, I have not grown up watching banking. I'm not old enough to have seen the banking at Monza, and I'm not a NASCAR guy, so I've not seen the infield-outfield racing. Um, to me, the banking, I'd prefer it if the banking went the other way. I don't understand why it's good to have banking that makes the corner easier, I'd have the banking opposite. So they're really struggling to hang on and occasionally they just fall off the edge. Why is banking good? Not what is banking, why is banking good? Yeah, so I saw you immediately jumped on Twitter when the video came out and with the grumpy old man opinion. Oh, why is banking good? It wasn't an opinion. I'm asking, I'm happy to be corrected (laughs) here. Why is banking good? So there were obviously, there were some corners where they've gone, Ooh, that basically kills overtaking because the next straight is like a meter because it's a 100-year-old track. So they've put the banking in, presumably, so that that corner is now effectively a straight. Yeah, so the thing about off-camber corners is that I know they they call them like error generators, but they are just terrible for for driving. They're not great for racing, whereas positive camber is is good for racing. And like I said, that final corner is going to be completely flat out. And it's just going to extend the run. But aside from that, it just looks really cool. And I think when you watch them in qualifying, it's just going to look really awesome. Brad, what's the driver POV on this? Yeah, I was basically going to to say what you ended up saying, which is that because of the nature of Formula One nowadays, where you generally need the DRS in order to uh, make an overtake, this is effectively just extended a straight, hasn't it? So this is, it's not as an error generator, it's to allow cars to stay close enough to one another to then actually use their DRS on the next straight. Um, And you're completely right that if it was uh, an off-camber corner, that would be more of an error generator. Um, The drivers wouldn't enjoy it as much. It's not as nice to drive, basically because it's more difficult. Um, So drivers will enjoy this because it's effectively just an easy corner. You can kind of cross it off in your mind as something you don't actually need to think about. Um, and I think the, the positive for fans is, are those two things. The thing Chris mentioned, which is that it looks really cool. Cars will be going through a corner really, really fast. Um, and also it then allows them to use the DRS on the next straight. Quick question for you, Brad, before we go to Matt. Uh, when you say error generator, can you give us just a, a couple of examples, maybe in F1, but if not in other series, of, of what is an error generator? 
I'm going to have to think um, about specific corners mm. um, that, are, that are designed like that. But basically, it's just a difficult corner. It's a corner where you're more likely to um, outbreak yourself, um, run a bit wide, put yourself um, in a difficult position where someone else can then pounce on you or you can lose time and allow someone to to catch you up and overtake you on the next section. So, for example, when they resurface a track, like they resurfaced Barcelona, the aim was to make it more grippy. Uh, whereas a fan, if I was to resurface a track uh, like Bahrain or Texas, I, I might be tempted to go, oh, it was less grippy. In fact, isn't Texas less grippy? Isn't that one of its USPs? Possibly. I mean, one thing we have to remember is that racetracks aren't used for Formula One uh, for the rest of the season. So they only have one weekend of Formula One a year. So just because it's better for us watching a Formula One race, if the track's trickier to drive, when there are, say, 50 GT races or, or other touring car series through the year, they won't necessarily want the same thing as F1 wants. So the tracks do have to keep all their customers happy. Um, I think Austin is predominantly F1. They don't have that many other events there. Certainly nothing anywhere near uh, as important. Um, maybe World Endurance Championship or something. MotoGP and WEC? So not, not anything like as important as Formula One. <laughs> okay, okay, look, calm down, everyone. Calm down. Uh, before we get complaints, uh, email Bradley Philpot at something something dot internet. Uh, Matt. Uh, so two points from the chat room. Cavalina Rampante, no idea who he supports, uh, is very much <laughs> saying that the problem with banking is that marbles accumulate on them. And that's going to make it a bit of a challenge, I would think. And Statics would like to know, I guess, from Brad, if he thinks we will actually see any passing on the banking instead of after the banking. Isn't it just a straight now like that? How, does the banking make it easier to pass? Yes. Need to really, I'd re- need to really watch the video again, uh, the onboard with Max, and just see exactly how that whole section flows because I don't know Zandvoort brilliantly well. Um, I'd be surprised because I think the the racing line through there would probably be yeah. by far the fastest line. So I think trying to overtake through there would mean going around the outside. And I don't think that's really doable um, at first glance. At the same, by the same token, we've heard more than a few people say that it will actually create multiple lines into the following, into the following section, having the banking. And if that's the case, then aren't we looking at, a, again, sort of a high-speed outbreaking game of chicken to make the next corner, which could get kind of interesting from time to time? Well, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And well, I think we've had a, a, a real mix here between the very optimistic Chris and, this, and the slightly grumpy me, only because, only because I really like the modern tracks. And you get yelled at, like, oh, it's not as good as name some 70s track but i like bahrain and when i'm playing a, an f1 game i like driving bahrain it feels suitable abu dhabi not the best example of it but at least it's a track that is suitable for f1 cars it's not the best example of those but you look at the modern design tracks uh, like korea and india malaysia for me i would take any of those tracks over over uh, monaco over um Hungary, I love Hungary. I do love Hungary, but Barcelona. I I would prefer a season full of those modern tracks for modern F one cars. If you want to keep the old tracks, that is wicked. But you have to have regulations that make the cars skinnier, a bit slower, a bit livelier, a bit harder to control. The current F one cars, Chris. You know that's why I'm negative about going to an old F one track that needs banking to make it viable. But that's that's just not necessarily the case though hungary has been on the calendar since 86 spain has been on the calendar since 1990 91 
and we get great races around both of those. Silverstone has been around for God knows how long. Yeah, Silverstone, 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 though, is ahead of its time, and it has always been a high-speed festival of speed track, hasn't it, Brad? And they also very recently modified Silverstone to make it more suitable for Formula One cars. No, 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 they didn't. They did that for the bikes. I think they, they allowed it to be safer for bikes as well. But, Chris, you know, the big stop into turn two is, is all that outbreaking in a, in a fast car. It's, it's actually turn three. But you, you're, you can't even say it's recent. It was 10 years ago now. Chris, stop trying to make bikes a thing. Bikes aren't a thing. I'm not saying it's just a fact. I'm stating a fact. They're weird. They should fall down. They go all the way over like that and stay up. Something's happening and no one's telling us and no one's talking about it. It's like when the aeroplanes sprinkle the dust stuff from those trails. Centrifugal forces. That's what it is. Right. This is very, this is stupid. Matt, it's become stupid. Let's move on to uh, another topic. Okay, from now on, though, Matt, from now on, we're being super serious journalist guys, okay? Oh, let me see your eyes. Let me see that steel in your eyes, trumpets. Super serious journalists. And in fact, this next topic, we're not going to dwell on it too long because it's it's depressing. And I, the whole news, basically, since September has been depressing in general. Uh, watching your news feed has not been a nice place. And then you go on social media... And everybody is just super mean to everybody else. I think social media has got meaner. Looking at your phone is a mental health hazard because everything is depressing. It's a drumbeat of negativity. There's Facebook groups who only survive and grow because they are deliberately negative on purpose and trying to make you sad. And then they make money or can drive an agenda. So I don't want to dwell too much on the fact that this world that we live in is facing a very serious and mostly unknown problem with the virus. It's the unknown that is hurting us most, Matt, because we don't know. It could be fine. It could be something that we've never dealt with before. And we don't know if it's going to happen again or whether this is a one-off. And I I think governments are, appropriate, uh, are reacting appropriately. And it does mean that it's disrupting the F1 calendar and that the F1 thing the F1 thing is the only thing that's making me go, oh, it'll be fine. Let's just fly around the world. Let's assume it'll be fine so we can still have F1. Yeah. I mean, I might disagree with my assessment of my government's response to this. That was That's your prerogative. <laughs> that is just my prerogative and not the actual statement of the entire show. Um, but if you look at how the virus is spreading and where the hotspots are, One of the biggest issues has been that there are two Italian teams, and right now Italy is in a state of locking down the region where one of those teams is, along with the headquarters, uh, the design headquarters for Pirelli, which make the tires for all of the cars. So there's been a lot of concern about that, um, especially after a leaked version of the legislation for that area uh, was published on Twitter, amongst other places. And created, I can only use the technical term, a whole foo-foo raw. Right. Well done. Amongst amongst the fans. But what we know, and this is uh, through Mark Hughes and Twitter, is that there is a an, there is an undeferrable work exemption for traveling out of that region. So Ferrari will be present at the first race. And we know from Ross Braun, with all the teams present, that means it will be a championship race because all the competitors will be there. And in fact, a lot of the gear... Pretty much all the year is already in Melbourne and was before this even came up. 
Um, and we also heard very recently that Bahrain has decreed there will be no spectators, of which you made light, at their race, which follows Melbourne. But the teams will be there. The telly will be there. And my best understanding right now is that the print journals and photographers who want to go there and cover the event will also be there. So it's just the spectators that aren't going to be present. So what I'm hearing is there's never been a better time for Missed Apex to apply for accreditation to a race because people aren't going to want to go. And it is a difficult decision. I certainly wouldn't judge anybody who didn't want to travel right now. Chris, you're a journalist. You do know that going to certain places presents problems. And I think you have to respect the choice of the individual outlets and personnel. Yeah, there was also a time when I was going to go to a certain Middle Eastern country where they have certain laws about uh, people like me. Where they think you're uh, naughty, Chris. I was um, very hesitant about going. I didn't have to in the end, which was... um, uh, made me very Which happy. Solved the problem. Yeah, yeah, but I can, <laughs> I can, uh, I can totally empathise with the the staff who are cautious about travelling, um, especially you know when we start getting into the the, the Asian regions of the, in the calendar, and uh, it makes a lot of sense. And we we can't discount the idea that uh, drivers are going to get involved in this as well. Anybody who uh, has watched the Formula E um, last weekend or the weekend before. We know that John Eric Byrne was in quarantine oh. the day before the race, before he went and charged to the podium. Um, Christian Lungard missed out on Formula Two testing because he's stuck in a uh, in Tenerife in a hotel. I think it's in Tenerife with two other Renault Sport really? Academy drivers Oof. in there as well. So the yep. impact is already being felt, and uh, we can't you know discount the idea that it'll happen again. So I hope nobody is objecting to me making, you know, light of it with a Twitter joke about the attendances of Bahrain. To be clear, we understand it's a serious situation and sympathies to anyone who is affected because there's a knock on effect. You know, there's a whole industry around Formula One and it's, it's not a laughing matter for those people. Uh, uh, Matt and Chris, do you want to get in before I just talk about some attendance figures? Uh, Chris first. Well, the, the good thing about Bahrain, you know, it, it being held behind closed doors is not going to affect the race all that much it's a government funded race so it's not like silverstone for example where the british grand prix is counting on ticket sales to be able to continue hosting um the race the important thing for them is to get the name bahrain out there and promote it as a tourist destination so of the races that this has to happen to it's, it's not the worst situation yeah and and i just want to follow up on that because i've seen on twitter and other social media platforms some shade thrown at formula 1 for not just saying we're not going to have these races, it's too dangerous, and so on and so forth. But Formula One is a business, and they are following the best practices of today. And they are talking to the teams with making these decisions and regarding the risk involved for individuals. And I just, I cannot see making those accusations shy of distinctive advice from experts that regions should not be traveled to and events should not be held. It's much harder than you think. And I just say we go with the experts on this one. Absolutely. I just, I'll I'll echo that a hundred percent. When you see celebrities making comments in, in any way, shape or form on their show or on their social media, claiming or speaking in a tone where they somehow have some knowledge about 
this uh, virus. They're, they're not epidemiologists. They don't know. So just like actively go on there and tell them to shut the hell up because their, their information is misinformation. For once, can we just listen to experts? Um, interesting with the attendance figures. The joke is, of course, that Bahrain, no one goes to it. There were 34,000 people on race day in Bahrain last year compared to Silverstone uh, uh, on race day being 194,000 and then total over the weekend, something like 370. I've definitely got those wrong. Uh, but Chris, you know, that there's, there's not nobody going to these races. They are at least attracting some people. And there are real F1 fans listening now who spied that as a holiday destination, paid their money, and they now are losing out. Hopefully they have insurance, but it, it, it wasn't a trivial decision to go, right, we're going we're gonna to put this behind closed doors. No, of course not. And you know, I think it, it, it's harsh comparing it to Silverstone, especially you know, when uh, this country is at the height of uh, Hamilton's Formula One um, career. It's, it's more popular than ever, uh, especially with you know, uh, a, lot, a lot of British success, not just with Lewis, but also Mercedes as a British-based team. Uh, and the Grand Prix is just better than ever. So there's, there's, no, there's no surprise to see that 200,000 people get through the door on, on race day. Good. Well, let's uh, let's hope that a lot of the F1 calendar survives from a viewer's point of view. It won't affect us overly. The grid walk might look a little bit different and the podium might be somewhat more muted. Uh, but the TV spectacle will be there. And I'm sure the drivers, once their visors are down, will be treating it exactly the same. So we still have some fantastic F1 action ahead. Okay, let's talk about bodies. Yeah, we've been discussing before the show that some of us have uh, been uh, moving towards peak physical condition at the gym. Others of us, uh, me and Chris, have not had the best start to the year. Uh, But it was interesting looking at Lewis Hamilton's Instagram, where he likes to post pictures of himself topless, for which I do not blame him. If I looked anything like that, I would be shirtless now. You on this stream, I would not be wearing my Mist Apex top. I would be rocking my Instagram body here on the live stream. I'm not. That's why I'm wearing black. It's very figure hugging, figure disguising. Right. So Lewis Hamilton posts this topless photo. And what is uh, different from uh, previous photos I think he's put on in the hybrid era is that he actually has pecs, Brad. Like he actually looks like he's been on a pec deck and he's like rocking some upper body. So, you know, as a as a driver, you keep your weight down to a minimum, uh, especially because of karting. How how much does that affect your your life and your mindset as a driver? I think it is actually a, a big boost mentally when you feel fit. Um, and obviously a lot of that is just going to be, you just feel like you're potentially more ready than your competitors. And I think Lewis, for Lewis, it's a couple of different reasons. He is obviously extremely public as a person. And it's it's cool for him to be seen to be really muscly and and have a really nice typical muscly physique, which he hasn't necessarily been able to do for a lot of his career yeah. because of needing to to keep the weight down. Um, so I think he's really relishing these more slightly more brutal cars that require a bit more strength and the higher weight limit. So how have you found it? Because you're you're a naturally uh, lithe, slim guy, uh, but you do a lot of running. Like you've got an, you've got an insane five k time. What, what's your five k time at the moment 
on a treadmill i did 15 um, minutes 55 um, yeah, but in real life it's 16 something but um but yeah i do try and do a, a lot of running and, that's disgusting uh, fact, i'm going brad you you might lap me if you decided to do a 10k and i was just doing a 5k uh, but my point being is you do also enjoy going to the gym so do you find yourself being mindful of adding muscle mass no uh definitely not because in general i don't tend to race in series um where I need to be any lighter than I currently am. Uh, generally, I have to add ballast to any cars that I'm racing in. So I can definitely afford to be stronger than I am, have more muscle mass than I currently have. But I also don't necessarily need it uh, because cars generally have power steering. And I'm obviously not racing a Formula One car. So yeah. um, I don't need to be as strong. But yeah. It, oh, uh, strength is a massive advantage in in karting. And it's good because I'm, I'm short as well. So I can get a, I can get away with a bit of dad tub. Uh, but my upper body strength means that I don't tire on the karting where someone like Chris, <laughs> Chris, let's, I'm not being unfair here. After about 20 minutes karting, you are like done. The karting, I think I just struggle with in general, but it was kind of the opposite story when we did the sim stuff. Oh, where you're going to, you came out of that and went, that's going to destroy you. And I, I just, too yeah, that's true. You beat me once at one thing and you've never let me down. Right. That's it. We're going back there. Right. We're going back. Or you have we are to join. Going back. Or you have to join our iRacing, Chris. The reason I don't want you to join our iRacing is because you were so good on the commentary last last night. Yeah. Uh, we had our second round commentary, some technical hiccups, but we're going to have a good highlights package available on Tuesday. But oh, I hope you enjoyed that because you were as good there as you are at the Missed Apex Karting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I'm really glad you kind of asked me along to, to do it. It's a really great way to spend an evening. And you guys put on one heck of a show. Trumpets. I'm Mark Greenhow. would like to get in with the compliments on Chris's commentary. He was waiting for this section of the show. Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, I didn't thank actually you. intend this to be a section of the show, but I will just say quickly, we had 35 drivers, I think, in the end, lining up for three heats. Uh, and then we had a fun over race at the end for three heats. Uh, it was quite polite. We were all on the Discord. We had a live stream with uh, Chris and Steve Amy uh, 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 managing it and, and making it quite watchable. Me and my son watched it back today and enjoyed watching it. So if you want to get involved in iRacing uh, in our league, if you're already an iRacer, you can contact me, spannersready at gmail.com. We'll put you on the grid for the next race. And if you're curious about how to get into it, then you can definitely hit us up in our Facebook group. Search for Miss Apex Podcast on Facebook. Uh, in our patron slack group always good advice in there uh you can join us there by being a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex or you can just hit us up on twitter at missed apex f1 and at spanners ready and uh we will give you uh, some tips and pointers to get involved in iRacing. but matt you and i our rivalry continued uh, i have to say that overall i destroyed you i am the winner of the missed apex panel sub competition uh, I outqualified you and I won. I beat you two races. You beat me two races. So clearly it was a crushing and devastating blow. You, but if we're handing out compliments, should we mention Steve? Oh, quick? yeah. Go for it, man. Our unbelievably cool and calm under pressure video editor, Steve Amy, for putting together all the amazing shots that everybody's going to be watching on YouTube. Because I know like millions of people are headed there right now to see this race. It looked amazing. It was a dream come true to do that. Uh, yeah. And what I I didn't enjoy, Matt, was the fact that you are so competitive now. Uh, and I'm hoping that that is a passing fad because I don't want you on my heels. I enjoy, I enjoy beating you. But come and get involved anyway. Missed Apex is an organization 
that likes to turn a wheel, that likes to put on events, that likes to get you racing. And more importantly than any of that, Matt, we like to to be involved with our listeners and give them the opportunity to come and hang out with us and give us the opportunity to hang out with them. And over the years, we've met some fantastic people. Yes, it is a badge of honor to be punted off the track by your eye. It is true. I do wonder, you know, I do wonder. There's two schools of thought. Either one, one, you know, there's one school where they go, I'm going to, I'm going to wreck the guy who hosts the thing. Or there's people on there that are like, Oh no, I don't want to, I don't want to hit the, the host of the thing. So I will give them a wide berth. So I, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I hope it's the second one so that we get an advantage. Anyway, we were talking about driver weights, Matt. So why can Lewis Hamilton be more muscular? Uh, because they've changed, they've made the driver weight separate from the car weight and they've standardized it at, uh, was it 80 kilograms? I can't really remember. I haven't bothered to go look at the details because honestly, eh. but essentially they've set it up so that driver weight is not a penalty. Whereas in the past, if your driver was super light, you at, you had uh, an advantage. So all the drivers would essentially, you know, like certain other sports, starve themselves down to the lightest weight possible so the team would have the biggest advantage for the car. So how heavy can a driver be now? So I weigh in at 80 kilograms. How is my dream of being an F1 driver going? I think you are barely there. Most of them will be significantly lighter than that. Oh, really? Okay. And I'm, and that's that's with me being massa size as well. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, okay. So these are the heaviest cars ever. Chris, uh, it, you know, is this trend going to stop if we look at 2021? Are we going to continue to have these heavy cars or is this, I mean, it's hard to get away from it because we have to carry these battery packs now. I think they'll get a a little bit lighter just because uh, there'll be less aerodynamic parts on them. Uh, that being said, bigger wheels as well, and the power units aren't getting any lighter. So they're still going to be kind of hunky beasts for sure. Uh, for sure, I think we're nowhere near ever going back to the glory days pre-hybrid where the cars were what 650 kilos brad i think there are some additional rules that have um, been announced this week which also might add to that weight um in light of the the accident at spa last year in formula two i think there's some some additional strengthening being mandated which is almost certainly going to add to the weight um i would just say though the bigger wheels might make them lighter um because Rubber, the tire is a very heavy element of the of the wheel assembly, as you as we tend to call a tire and wheel together. Um, and so, I think if the wheels are made of a very light material, then having bigger wheels um, will actually make it lighter because there'll be less rubber. What's heavy, rubber or aluminium? Well, the thing is, a tire isn't just made of rubber. Um, as I showed you those photos the the other week, um, there's a lot of metal inside the tire as well. Explain oh. that a little. Explain to me slightly. This is unplanned. But explain to me, because I was surprised by that, if not for one single incident I had had in my life where I had a really old uh, Ford Escort where the, what do you call it, the wheel angle, it was tilted over too much. The camber? Camber. The camber was bad. So on the inside, it was wearing it away. On the outside, it all looked fine. Then suddenly the tyre exploded on the motorway. I pulled over, I looked on the inside, and I was really surprised to see like all metal and layers and everything. So just in brief, what is the composition of a race tyre? Um, yeah, so I can't speak for every race tire because it's going to be different depending on uh, on the use. But certainly, in general, a tire is made up of several layers of nylon um, and steel belts. Sometimes um, coated in rubber because uh, it needs to be coated in a special rubber to then stick to the other layers of rubber. And they're built up in layers 
for different purposes um, to prevent too much flex uh, laterally or also to, uh, a layer called a restrictor, which stops the tire expanding too much at high speed. And all these things are, are obviously layered there. Um, and then obviously you've got the tread on top and the compound of the actual rubber plus whatever's in the sidewall. And, and it all does create quite a heavy um, mass. Um, so although the majority of, of the area is taken up by air on the inside, um, whatever exotic gas is being put inside, um, they're quite heavy. Uh, the chat room is helping us out. Goost is telling us it's 743. This uh, was originally 743 for this year. It's gone up to 745. And with the new added kilogram due to the extra second uh, fuel flow sensor is now up to 746. And Cavalina Rampante is telling us it's going up to 768 in 2021. Which I don't understand at all. Surely wow. that's going to be mostly, ba- well, not mostly, but there's going to be a bit of ballast in that. I don't know. I think it's uh, I think it's safety measures, and I think they're rolling back some technologies to make things cheaper, and then that's going to mean things are heavier. But I, I think you have the right of it until the weight of the battery pack and the weight of the power unit are addressed and either lighter materials are allowed or encouraged you're not really going to see a change in this. Okay, Matt, just just so you know, me bringing on Gemma Hatton last week and asking Brad just now about the composition of race tyres, that is my birthday present to you. I don't expect anything else. Yeah, I I will take that. Thank you. So last week we had uh, Gemma Hatton on the show, Matt, who was a Pirelli engineer, the interface between the teams, and an ex-manor racing tyre engineer, the responses we had from last week's episode have been incredible. Uh, Gemma is by far the most popular new panellists we've had. Ha ha ha. Suck it, Nick, Kyle, Catman, and all the rest of them. Yeah, and I think she was uh, popular for any number of reasons, but mostly because she has a real authority when she talks about these issues. And it was fascinating hearing her explain why there are going to be issues with this year's tires and pressures, which I, again, I've seen certain teams complaining already about it. But to be fair, the teams quite literally chose this for themselves. They cannot argue that this is Pirelli's fault. So uh, for all the people who emailed and got in touch, and it was a lot, I've just jinted the mic, haven't I? Uh, For all the people who emailed, and it was a lot, uh, be assured that Gemma is going to do some more stuff with us and uh, we're going to do some stuff hopefully with uh, Race Car Engineering Magazine as well. So very excited uh, to to have that as part of the Missed Apex broadcast and able to bring you that expertise. I love having experts uh, around me. Uh, at most, I am a useful idiot and over the years by osmosis, I have, if not picked up knowledge, picked up uh, the right questions to ask. And I love having people on, on hand because Brad is essentially a race car tyre expert from a driver point of view. And it suddenly occurred to me, when they talk about high and low pressure, oh, Pirelli's added three PSI to the tyre pressure this weekend. And people are like, oh, that's outrageous. And I'm like, yes, I am also outraged. But I, I don't know why. Is, it, is, there a, is there a quick way to explain why high is good or bad or why low is good or bad, Brad? No. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, so basically, higher or lower pressures from what you currently have, whatever that might be, could be a good or a bad thing, depending what you need to happen. So... The situation with Formula One tends to be that in order for the tires to stay in one piece and to stay structurally sound and to not have too much sidewall flex and too much heat generated in the wrong places, Pirelli mandates uh, a higher pressure than the teams would like for outright performance. The teams would like to run the tire pressures lower so that at the higher temperatures, when the tire is is being used really, really hard, um, it has exactly the correct contact patch that that they desire. But Pirelli for safety reasons or for longevity reasons, mandate higher tire pressure. Um, and for performance reasons, the teams don't like that. But in other situations, higher pressures would actually be desirable, say in the wet where you're trying to um, potentially cut through the water more and you want a smaller contact patch um, so you don't affect the aquaplane. That, that's an example. Yeah. And just to follow up on that from what Gemma had to say last week, the reason for that is exactly what you discussed. Sidewall flex, last year's tires, were barely strong enough to deal with the energy the cars put through them because the cars were faster, significantly faster than the FIA had predicted. And so Pirelli engineered a new tire, but due to reasons, the teams refused to accept it. So now the cars are even faster, faster. There's even more and more energy. And so basically, in order to keep the tires from just simply exploding, as Vettel's did, let's say, uh, they are going to mandate higher pressures. But the fun fact that I really learned was that Pirelli will look at the data from Friday's running and just about the time all those engineers get through all of those numbers and know what they want to do on Saturday, if it's bad, 
they'll show up and say, sorry, we're raising the pressures and they have to start all over again. Yeah. So remember in at the beginning of 2019, the cars were supposed to be one second a lap slower because of the new front wings. And now we've got even quicker cars than what we already had last year, which were breaking lap records. I took a look at uh, the 2017 testing times, which is when uh, these new regulations were introduced. And they are two and a half seconds quicker in testing than they were three years ago. And just to explain for everyone what might sound a bit counterintuitive, Matt said they need to increase the pressures to prevent the tyres exploding. People will often mistake blowouts for meaning too much pressure in a tyre. People think that the tyre is getting so much pressure that it then explodes. It's actually the opposite. It's when the sidewall fails from too much heat generated from actually the pressure being too low. So when someone has a blowout on the road, it's more often than not because they've had a slow puncture that they didn't realise. The tyre has got too low in pressure. The sidewall is being flexed very heavily during normal driving and eventually the sidewall then gives out and the tyre explodes. But it's not through additional pressure. So raising the pressures as Pirelli are asking for is actually to make the structure of the tyre safer because there's less flex. But what it what the negative is for the teams is that the small contact patch of rubber that is actually touching the surface will then overheat and it's harder for them to manage. I've got so many follow-up questions. Oh no, I've pressed the button. No, oh, I've pressed the button. No, oh, we've got to move on. Sorry, that is that is the rules of Mistake Apex. We've got a Grand Prix coming up, guys. We can't just waffle on about tyres and Lewis Hamilton's pecs and uh, carbon neutral things and coronavirus. We've got much more important things coming up. We've got the Australian Grand Prix coming up in one week's time. And it is like Christmas for F1 fans. Christmas is terrible because there's no F1. Chinese New Year, terrible, no F1. I don't actually know when that is. Sorry, I've revealed my ignorance. January. Good. Ah, good. In that case, we shall edit this to, to make it sound like I knew that for sure. Is it? Does it move around all the time, like Easter? I don't know by how much. It's yeah, been January it's for the last couple of years. I only know that because that's how long I've been working with a client over there. Ah, exactly. There you go. Um, anyway, so all those holiday things are rubbish because F1 doesn't exist in that time. When the Australian Grand Prix rolls around, it is like our Christmas. You even have to wake up super early and to listen to a jolly... I was going to say jolly old man. A jolly man, David Croft, come and bring you all the F1 presents. And I am super giddy. I'm super, super excited. For me, the main thing that I want to see revealed is not not always necessarily which is the best car. Not always. For me, it is how the driver-teammate battles are going to respond. It always feels to me like the first battlefront in F1 is the drivers. So I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about who has the most to lose and the most to gain. But first, you know, let's talk about the Australian Grand Prix. Because when we turn up after being excited little school children, Chris, and then we, we come to Melbourne and it's not always representative of what's going to happen. And it's not always, sorry, Aussies, uh, the, the, the fires are all sorted now, aren't they? So we can be rude to them again. It's not always the best spectacle. If that was race five, I would never object to it. Race one, you go, ah, street circuit's quite tight. No overtaking, but it does sometimes mislead us. It can be a great race. It's a great track. Uh, it is a great qualifying, track. It's really cool. Yes. And it's always fun to drive on the games as well, especially with the modern cars and the amount of downforce they have. And you can just fly through some of those corners with such fantastic um, speed. As you say, not always the most representative, but it does still give us good indications for certain things. 
you know, you, you're able to test the change of direction, the uh, traction, uh, how good the ride is on certain cars because it's a very bumpy circuit. And it's still, you know, a, a high downforce track. The trick there is to then see how you then compare it the next race in Bahrain, which is on the complete opposite end of the scale. If you've got a car that works on both of those tracks, you're in for a good season. Sorry, I have to be that person. So it tells us things like uh, Haas was best last year because Magnussen came sixth and Grosjean would have come seventh had they gotten his uh, wheel attached properly. I've got, I've got some quiz. I've got a quiz question for you guys. All right. So I'm not giving Uh-oh. you any time to Google this. Okay. So uh, hang on. It deserves some some a backing bed, doesn't it? Uh, here we go. Here you go. Look at that. It's all professional now. Welcome to Quiz Time on Miss Apex Podcast. The bed is trumpets. This is you, isn't it, Matt? That is. So we won't get pinged for a rights violation. Uh. Okay, so the quiz question is, how many times has the Australian Grand Prix... Oh, listen to those trumpets. I'm just distracted now. I want to listen to that. It's beautiful. I can't believe people would say that I don't take this seriously. (laughs) How many times has the Australian Grand Prix been won by the eventual championship winner this century? So since 2000... Go on, Chris. 11. Oh, so you exactly know? Yeah. So why would you ruin the quiz by just blurting out the answer immediately? Oh, uh, Matt, what is your guess? Well, 11, of course. Oh, that's a good guess. Brad, do you want to guess? I don't trust Chris. Probably <laughs> 12. Oh, that is normally a good thing to do, but on this occasion, it is. It's 11. So it is a bit of a coin toss, but more interestingly... Who do you, how many times do you think the the team that has won the Australian Grand Prix has gone on to have the World Driver Champion? Uh, so, what do you think, Brad? In this more, century, more times than the driver. Oh God, obviously, because, more times well, duh, than the driver. because of a few examples I can definitely think of off the top of my head. But so, how many haven't? That's probably the easier way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Kimi, Ra- Kimi Raikkonen won, didn't he? In yes, the Lotus. that's right. Yep. Oh, there's some guesses coming in in the chat room. I forgot the chat room can play along. Um, they're saying 17. So it's actually 14. We'll skip ahead a bit because this it was dragging on. Uh, and I'll turn the music off, sorry. Uh, right, so it's 14. So 14 out of 20 is a reasonable indication that the team that turns up and wins the Australian Grand Prix is going to have a good season. And it's a good indicator of who's going to be the world driver champion. Uh, and also you can look at other mitigating factors like in Australia... Lewis Hamilton had a, a floor issue that was affecting his aero. So Australia, maybe, Chris, it's not the terrible indicator of the season ahead that people think it is. Well, my trouble with that stat is that you have to take into account the Schumacher years and the Mercedes dominance years. So it's not particularly... Uh, wait, 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 wait. So in the, in the uh, Schumacher dominance years, he didn't win all the Australian Grand Prix. No, he won like four out of five of them, though. Uh, it's not all of them. I think Coulthard won one. And then in the uh, Mercedes era, Sebastian Vettel has won two of those. Right. So 2003 was when Coulthard won it, and that was an actually close year. Uh, Vettel won it in 17, actually because that car was quicker. I'll give you that one. But 18, he won it because of the VSC scandal. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they they didn't pit him or did pit him. No, they waited. That was it. They waited and they didn't pit him. Yeah. And so the Ferrari got the... the Can I the, go for it? The cheaper I'm going stop. for it. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, we've sorted that one out. Good. Uh, let's talk about some driver battles. And I think this might open up some different topics. We're 50-odd minutes in. And as you know, we have a strict one-hour policy 
that I brought in 18 months ago, and it has been adhered to, Matt, precisely four or five times in, in that time? I think your planetary reference is wrong. We should go with, like, Mars, something with a longer orbit of the Earth. Then it could technically be an hour. No? Uh, that. I'm not ready. No, it's no. about the no. okay. uh, rotation what? axis, not the time it takes to circle the sun. Thank you, Chris. That's what I was... Something's not right, but I'm, I can't science hard enough. I was going, come on, Spanners. <laughs> science <laughs> harder. Science. <laughs> but thankfully, Chris, science to for me. Okay, driver battles. Let's start with Haas as the stars of Drive to Survive. Um, there has been some discussion in our WhatsApp group, and I don't know how prevalent it is within general social media, that Gunter Steiner doesn't seem like that good a man-manager. Just to me, I watched the first few episodes of Drive to Survive, and I was looking at Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean, both of whom I believe are incredibly talented drivers. Perhaps journeymen, perhaps not the best ever Formula One drivers, but extremely talented guys. And Roman Grosjean is getting so much uh, abuse for his performances. But when you get a glimpse into what he's dealing with and how Gunter Steiner has decided that, oh, I can be funny to my staff by being horrible to Roman Grosjean and he's like my fall guy, that's fine if it's fully consensual and they're best mates and they're having dinner around everybody's house. I'm sure, I'm sure, Brad, I'm sure you and Gene Z have that kind of relationship where you can give each other a ton of grief, but you know there's an underlying mutual respect. I just get that. I'm not sure Roman Grosjean is in on the joke and now I just feel... I feel bad for him. Like, I want him to get out of that team and show what he can do somewhere else. So I think it's okay for, for Roman to... I think he can take that, provided he gets some good results. That's that's the way I would feel. You can, you can take a ribbing, provided that you get to demonstrate how good you really are most of the rest of the time. The problem comes when it's happening all the time, and then the boss still makes a joke of, of what's going wrong for you. Then it's going to start to get him down. And then actually he's going to be in a negative spiral that's partly the fault of the person telling him off for it. Matt, I don't want to be like over dramatic, but it felt like bullying to me. I've seen bullying and it looks a bit like that. It does look a bit like that, but I need to remind everyone that this is a show that is made for television. Docudrama. So there will be an element of exaggeration and hyperbole to the way they frame things before we go leaping too far off this ladder. And I have seen comments from both drivers that indicates that perhaps Steiner isn't as bad in terms of what you're discussing as he's being portrayed to be. What was that line from the classic animation, uh, Roger Rabbit? I'm not bad. They just draw me that way. I would say as well, uh, and it's been pointed out in the, in the chat room too, um, we only see a very small glimpse of their actual relationship. And I bet that Roman and Gunther are having dinner together a lot of the time. I bet they actually have a very nice relationship. Well, I hope and so. That's my feeling. I, I just, from some of Grosjean's reactions to Steiner, I think he's okay with it. And I do think, as, as you'd expect, Netflix play on this a bit. But uh, it doesn't help his wider image perception. No, it? no, it doesn't. If you look on social media, he's become uh, a social media punch bag. He's become a clown, a clown figure in Formula One that I don't think is reflective of his talent. So I just, I, I'm, I'm wishing good things for him. Like you say, in, in these series and in F1 and on driver interviews, we're not seeing the real person. Of course we're not. But if I had to put a shiny penny down and say which one of the F1 drivers is just like a lovely bloke that you would want to marry your 
daughter or be part of your family. But I think Roman Grosjean, he seems like that guy. So I'm wishing good things for him uh, this season. It's such an interesting driver-teammate dynamic, though, because, I don't know, I'll go to Brad and say they both seem like, they both seem like genuinely good drivers who are in a rubbish position in a car that isn't performing. I think any one of those drivers, either of those two, could go to Racing Point and be doing what Perez is doing in a different way because Perez is a different driver and possibly the greatest of all time. I agree with you. I think it's um, easy for someone to look worse than they are when they're stuck in a in a car and a team which, if if Drive to Survive was anything to go by, the team really didn't know what was going wrong. And it looked slightly amateurish in terms of their fault finding. Um, and you're you're an expert in that area, so you can speak to that. Oh man! Oh no! I was as a as primarily most of my engineering career was uh, going to the customer when they could not solve their problems and and problem solving. And if that is a true reflection of how they went about solving their problems, it can't have been. It can't have been. I'm going to say that their chief engineer, his meetings weren't covered by Drive to Survive. So I'm hoping they took it in a more logical way. But certainly just saying, we don't know what's going wrong. Uh, however, that said, Brad, uh, the thing of tearing up the, 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 the sheet and just going, right, let's go back to our Australia spec. That was great fault finding. And a really brave move. So I'm, I'm glad they did that. Uh, let's move along a bit. Uh, Chris, Kimi Raikkonen, very popular driver. I'm going to risk a thing here. Kimi Raikkonen has power at Alpha. He has power because he's invested. He has a say in who is his teammate. And he is being very smart having Giovinazzi as his teammate. Here is my current theory. Giovinazzi isn't that fast. Ultimately, Kimi Raikkonen isn't as fast as he was. And he's very happy to have Giovinazzi there. And he is being somewhat flattered by Giovinazzi. So we haven't seen Giovinazzi's potential for sure, because he started turning it on the second half of last season, right as the car completely fell away and he was never on TV. So uh, that's to be taken into consideration. I think Kimi will have a decent say in who replaces him at at Alpha at the end of this season. I was about to say next season, but of course it's this season. His contract uh, expires. Uh, whether it will be a pick between the multitude of drivers that the Ferrari Driver Academy currently has in Formula Two, and the top one, of course, being Schumacher Junior. So, I think I think that's probably going to be the the pull that he has over over the course of the next twelve months. Yeah, I would go with uh, Giovinazzi. I think he can be fast. I think he is marvel- marvelously too inconsistent for where he is. Yeah. If I was to define an issue for him, and given the amount of time he's had at the team, I'm surprised that it hasn't gotten better. And the chat room has brought up uh, Raikkonen's comment in Drive to Survive. Yes. That is a hobby. It's just a hobby. Oh, yeah. Don't do so that. There's that too. Yeah, there is a responsibility from F1 drivers because because the whole world wants to be F1 drivers and we pay our subscriptions and we we invest our fandom there is a responsibility on F1 drivers to live our dreams for us so a you have to say being an F1 driver is just the best thing ever in the world and you have a responsibility to under no circumstances get married and have kids until you're done with F1 because that is doing being an F1 driver wrong. It is a waste and it's unacceptable, Brad. I was just going to say like, yeah, like Lance Stroll obviously is actually just a hobby for him and he keeps his mouth shut, doesn't he? 
Um, okay, okay. Yes. Um, I don't think it's a hobby for him. I get the comment, but I think they're taking it very, very seriously over at Racing Point. In fact, let's go there next. Uh, let's go to that driver battle. I think for Alpha, it's interesting because Kimmy's coming to the end of his career. So he just wants to have a good time as possible and as good a performance as possible. There's no long-term plan. But for Racing Point, Matt, there's a huge long-term plan. The long-term plan is Lance Stroll, world driver champion. But let's just look at the two individuals in question because it's so odd because Stroll has to be in the long term. He's the number one driver. He's the go-to guy for Racing Point. Yet they do seem to be giving Perez the respect as the number one driver for now, which is kind of smart. Well, I think if they wish to be present in the dry, in the uh, Constructors' Championship to any great degree, they don't really have a choice because Stroll hasn't demonstrated the qualifying ability that Perez has, nor has he demonstrated yet the ability to manage tires the way Perez does. So I guess if you ignore those two things, then yeah, Stroll could be a number one driver. But right now, at least, I think he's. I think they are considering still to be in his learning or apprenticeship phase. And so Perez will get the lead in development and will get the benefit of the strategy calls. But what's frightening is, what's frightening, Brad, with this is that you would, you would hope, as someone like me, uh, a street rat, basically Aladdin with a microphone, as a street rat, you want to look at the rich kids and go, ah, oh, yeah, but yeah, they might have money, but they're like arrogant and that will be their downfall. Worryingly, the strolls seem hyper aware of Lance Stroll's current limitations and where he is. And they're not being arrogant about it. They are championing Perez as their team leader and saying, yeah, our boy needs to learn and we're going to give him time, which I think makes them dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sensible, uh, as you guys were saying, I think it's sensible for the team to treat it that way. Um, I was just trying to work out um, with some quick mental arithmetic because uh, you were mentioning how Lance is, is in kind of his, he's still learning and he's in his kind of apprenticeship phase. I was wondering how many Formula One drivers had come into the sport, won races, been world champion and retired in the amount of time Lance has been in this apprenticeship. I bet it's more than one. Yes, it is a long apprenticeship, but um, this is a conversation, you know, I had with my kids. Um, I'm not doing stroll down. I, somebody, somebody congratulated me uh, by email saying, well done, you got through a whole show without slating Lance Stroll. Uh, I, Yes, yes, I have been critical of that. But as I said to my kids, and I'm taking my daughter to auditions, I'm taking my son to races, the big difference between kids like me and kids like my kids and kids like Lance Stroll is the amount of chances that you get and the the amount of times you can keep doing something without other life pressures getting in your way. So James Blunt makes a big show of, Oh, you know, I, I, no one helped me. I bought my first guitar. I was sleeping on my friend's sofas, but there was no pressure for him to get on with his life. And there was no pressure for him to pay rent or do any of that stuff because he had a trust fund. He was a trust fund kid. He was a, an officer in the blues and Royals, you know? So if you have the time and resources to not earn money and to not have other pressures, then yes, you can have more and more chances. And this is a great example. Lance Stroll is having all the chances in the world. And I'm not going to take that against him because as far as I can see, Brad, he is taking those chances. He's driving in a correct kind of way and we are seeing some improvement. I So I'm going to 
reserve judgment, but also kind of make a judgment at this point. And maybe, maybe you can come back to me in three or four years uh, or five or six years. Cause I'm sure I'll still be around then. Um, I don't think he's, I think he's reached his plateau. I don't think he's going to improve right. any more than he currently has. And you may well be right that he is world champion one day. Um, but I think that will be through culling the teammate who is better. And I, I don't think there's always potential to be moved into. And I think he has done that. I don't think, I think he's had as, about as much practice saturation as it's possible to have. Okay, and if he hasn't got to peak level by now, I don't think he will. No, that that is interesting. That is interesting. So we often talk about the guys who have been in F1, uh, in F2 for longer. Uh, and how it's not necessarily always a good thing. Jolian Palmer, for example, uh, you know, an, an excellent driver by any standards. He went into F1 after four seasons of F2. Do you see, and, and obviously the reason I'm bringing this up is because of Latifi. Uh, do we see in the lower categories, the guys who get to spend more time in those categories do eventually come up to some kind of standard? Uh, Brad first, then Chris. Yeah, it's very difficult to tell because what tends to happen is those guys will stay in there until there's no one else good enough or no one else experienced enough to to beat them. And then they'll win the championship. I mean, Jolin, I don't think Jolin was necessarily any better in his last year and a half than he was in previous years. But okay. he was, by wow. that point, one of the most experienced drivers on the grid, if not the most experienced, and also in the best car. Um, and so it, it would it's natural for him to then win. But I do think there comes a point where you've done so many laps and you've, you've practiced so much, you can't really actually get that much better. Yeah. So with, with formula two, it's, it's a little bit difficult because the car itself was only like two years old um, because they changed the chassis every once in a while. But you, that's when you can tell people like Russell and Norris and Albon are pure talent because uh, for Russell and Norris, they were battling for the title in their first year. Albon, it was his second uh, so what you, you know, when you get people like, and as Brad said, you 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 wait for these people to filter out. Nick DeFree should have been a title contender in 2018, but he made too many mistakes. And then suddenly he's the top dog in 2019 and has a, uh, a, a relatively unchallenged championship in 2019, uh, apart from Latifi every once in a while. So, you know, the, they're still good drivers. Well, Don't get me wrong. Well, stop there, Chris. Stop there, Chris, because Michael Dustelhoff has given some some stonking advice in the chat yeah. room. Hello, Michael. Uh, you might want to use Latifi as a segue into Williams. That's a good idea. Let's drift into yeah. Williams. Uh, you will notice that we are not addressing the top three. And the reason I've done that is just because we've talked about the top three teams a lot over <laughs> the off-season. Uh, Latifi coming into Formula One... Um, uh, obviously was a lot of the reason I was talking about these pay drivers, Chris. Um, he is a pay driver. He might be the best billionaire pay driver in F1 in a while, but still I think George Russell must smash him. That is the, he must absolutely crush him. I think Latifi will surprise a few people. There are a few mitigating circumstances with his, a career. Yes, his uh, his family is stroll level rich. Uh, Latifi he started racing quite late. I think you know into his into his teens almost before he actually started competing. Uh, and you know, just for reference, most of these guys will start when they're as young as six, normally like seven or eight uh, in go karts. Um, but um, you'll see people like Latifi work so hard to be fast. 
And that's really going to serve him well. And I think pairing him with Russell, it's a really good combination that they'll be able to help develop that car. So for Williams, it's it's good. Obviously, Russell, I think, is going to be the better guy overall. But I think Latifi could surprise a few people. He's certainly not the, you know, the scraping the bottom of the barrel stuff that everyone seems to have written him off as. Yeah, this is going to be the test this year. So um, I predict right now that based on my feelings, Russell should absolutely wipe the floor with Latifi. Let's come back at the midpoint of the season and I will absolutely eat my words and apologize if that hasn't been shown to be the case because everything Chris has just said, Russell has started karting at a young age. He's, he's built up that baseline the thing we call kind of the raw talent, that innate ability, in my opinion, all that is, is starting karting really early with a strong desire to be better. And you've got someone like Latifi who is kind of just, he's fancied doing it a bit later. A similar story to Palmer, you know, didn't do the very early foundation years. And I really genuinely feel you miss out on some key development at that stage. And you can never catch that back up again because it's at such a crucial age. I predict Russell will be very strong by comparison, but I'm open to being proven wrong. Also, if, if Roman Grosjean is is your kind of like F1 driver best friend uh, that you'd happily let your daughter marry, then uh, mine would be Nicky because he is the nicest guy in the world. Excellent. Um, Matt, I am going to leave you uh, with some of the drivers to uh, some of the driver teammate battles to uh, to talk to our panel about. Where would you like to go to next? Perhaps you could start with uh, Renault. Uh, that has to be one of the premier battles that we're looking at we've heard so much about Ocon everybody loved him okay not everybody um but for who is this test for does Ocon have to beat him to prove that he's worth being an F1 or is this uh Ricciardo's to lose Chris uh, I think we'll, we'll see uh something a little bit similar maybe to what Ricardo was facing last season Ocon will come in initially struggle because it's an alien team it's an alien car to him uh he's obviously had a year out of formula one that's not necessarily going to do him too much damage but the cars would have just taken that extra step forward compared to what he last uh drove of course has been driving the uh mercedes and pirelli tire testing as well so i think it will take a good day for ocon to beat ricardo but that being said if ricardo does beat ocon in the championship uh, or in the qualifying battles, that's not going to be the end of his career. So do you think Ocon has to beat him? Or do you think it just has to be close, Brad? I think if Ocon doesn't beat Ricardo quite a number of times, he'll be very disappointed. And a lot of us will be really surprised because it doesn't matter he's been away for a year. He won't have forgotten how to drive. Um, and and he is, you know, he was an up-and-coming absolute hot shot in line for a Mercedes seat. So Ricardo is really good, but I wouldn't class him among the very fastest we've ever seen. So Ocon should be beating him quite a bit of the time. Uh, Brad, you've got some dissent in the chat room. Not really. Uh, From uh, our good friend, a karting participant, Stuart Neal, who said, Brad, did Damon Hill do all the go-kart stuff to be world champion? I don't think you're arguing that you must do that, but it it certainly is an advantage. Damon Hill was racing against a much, much lower standard of field, and uh, he was, and he won the championship in a car which was vastly superior. Um, that's obviously it's possible if you've if you've lost half a second of speed, driver speed, through not karting as a young age, but your cars a second a lap quicker, then it doesn't matter. You've not karted, 
But my point is when you're against someone who is in an equal car, um, then you are absolutely at a disadvantage. And, and the thing I was failing to type quick enough into the chat room was that uh, someone I mentioned that I started at nine. I was saying I, I felt like I personally missed out on some key years. Yeah. Um, I think five or six years old or essentially as young as you can possibly sit in a thing, doesn't even matter if it's a proper go-kart, something where your steering inputs and your throttle and brake inputs do a thing, um, that's going to start making some connections in your brain, which are then crucial later on. And then everything is like a snowball. Everything later on is, is easier than it would be for someone who hasn't done that. Oh, Brad, I wish we had some more off-season because I, I often, I think I upset some people last week with Joe because I, I just do think that people say, oh, you can't compare to other times. You can't compare to, to previous eras. I, for my personal thing is that uh, if the, the drivers from the past were in this era and they tried to compete in, in modern motorsport, they would have a much tougher time. It would be very unlikely that, that any of the, the drivers that we think were greats would even make it onto the grids or even into some of the junior formula because it's that much more competitive. Yeah, I think if you were to, the one thing I would say that you have to kind of try and nullify is if you were to assume that the modern drivers didn't have any kind of expectation of the better safety standards we have now, if they were just accepting that whatever car they were driving was the safest at, at the time, in terms of pure speed, how quickly they can drive that thing around the track and how skilled they are, I don't think it's even really in question. I think you'd be silly to say that you could say a driver from the 90s was as good as a a current driver, even one of the slowest on the grid, because the preparation level is just so much better now. Yeah, In the same way that, uh, you know, sports people in lots of different sports are just so much better. So so here's a key one. So the argument I always get back is, well, well, those drivers in this era would also have that level of prep and training and competition, etc. But the pure numbers of it just means that that it's unlikely that it would be those same individuals. It's not that those human beings from the 70s, 80s, 90s could not be F1 drivers now. It's just that the chances are, because of the numbers, it wouldn't be those same individuals. So, uh, yeah, that's all we're driving at. Spannersready at gmail.com. Tell me I'm an idiot all day long. That's absolutely fine. Don't have a go at my panel or I'll block you stuff. Uh, The chat room has been nice today. Good. I'm glad. We have a no troll policy. We have a go away troll policy here at Missed Apex Podcast, which, uh, which makes things very nice. Uh, and do remember that when you tweet one of my panel or me, it's a human being at the other end of that tweet. It's a human being at the other end of that Facebook message. So be nice because uh, we're, we're not here forever, are we? So be kind. Uh, right, Matt, let's move on. It is an hour and 17 minutes in. We've had a look at the Australian Grand Prix. We've looked forward to some of the teammate battles and we have extensively covered uh, our our views and feelings for the 2020 season during the off season. I think, tell me if I'm wrong, I think we are as ready as we could possibly be as a podcast organization for the season. Yeah, I think I think we absolutely are. I mean, we've watched our Netflix, we've read our reports, we've looked at lap times, we've talked about qualifying, and we've entirely ignored the whole Ferrari gate thing because honestly, can we not just get over this already? Yeah. So like just in like real brief, the the teams did their thing, which I talked about with Joe, and then the FA the FIA came back with a response which was nothing. It was word salad. It was no, there's no no problem. We're not addressing your issue. We're just going to continue on. And I'm a little bored of the story. So unless something major comes up where the FIA suddenly turn around and go, do you know what? 
do you know we've had we've had enough of you, Ferrari. They did do it. They frigged the the, the sensors and had more power. Uh, Chris, might I make a sort of wary point? Which, of course, the Concord Agreement is up at the end of this year, and so this this big battle between seven F one teams and the FIA is coming at a pretty important time for the FIA. There's always a Carillion death cruiser, is my response. That is a reference that I understand, because I have seen Men in Black. Excellent. Right, well, I tell you what, I think we should bring this show to a, a close, and there will be a Patreon podcast tomorrow, I think we're planning. If you want to catch that, be a patron. Support us at patreon.com forward slash Apex. Numbers are looking good. We won't really know until the season starts, but survival of this project is looking like, and I dread to say it, it is looking like a distinct possibility. It's a dream so fragile, you must only whisper it or it will disappear. Also a film reference, Matt, do you know it? Uh, Sorry, I was saving the chat room. It's Gladiator. Fine, whatever. What a waste. Follow my panel at Matt Trumpets. No, at MattPT55. You should do at Matt Trumpets. That would be better. Well, maybe I will. Okay, good. You can be the third person I made change their Twitter handle. I made Chris change his Twitter handle. He was at underscore Chris underscore Stevens underscore F1, but he's changed it to at Chris on Racing. I changed it because I couldn't have journo in my thing anymore because I'm not a journalist anymore. No, you changed it because of the peer pressure because you think so much Whatever of me, helps you sleep at night, Spanners. You needed my approval. And as somebody who I've now realised is nearly 20 years older than you, right, I, I Dad. understand that. <laughs> I'm so much older than you. This is terrible. Uh, right. Uh, at Chris on Racing and Bradley Philpot At Bradley Philpot F, uh, not F, P-H-I-L-P-O-T. That is how you spell Philpot. I am very amused that when you try and make restaurant reservations, they call you Mr. Pot because they assume that it is Philpot. Yeah, that happens a lot, which is why I use my fiance's surname every time I make a booking. Uh, unfortunately, this show is just a little bit early for you to make super cool announcements. However, you are going to be on track in 2020 in a car, which is going to be lovely. And as a, as a panel, as a crew, we're going to come out to as many of those events as we can. Yeah, I'll keep you uh, informed. But yeah, just for anyone who's vaguely interested, I'm racing uh, a Lotus Exige in a class called Super GT uh, in the 750 Motor Club Road Sport Series. Um, I'm hoping to win all the races. That's the aim. Um, and yeah, I watch my YouTube channel. Just search for my name, Bradley Philpott, on YouTube. I'm going to do some cool video blogs and Chris will help me with them. Yes, uh, we'll try and make it a thing, Brad. We're really, I cannot tell you how proud we are to have a racing driver of your calibre on the panel. Is there any chance... I'm doing this on air to put some pressure on. Is there any chance at all we can get the M on the car? Yeah, absolutely. I was de- I was going to talk to you about that. Um, yeah. So it massively ruins the colour scheme of the car because <laughs> red just clashes with everything, but I'm going to put it on anyway. Fantastic. It's much appreciated. You can follow the show at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. Follow me as well at Spanners Ready. Uh, do follow Matt. I'll give Matt another plug at MattPT55. Because not only has he been a constant companion in my podcasting for the last six years, he has done four or five off-seasons with me where I say, hey, Matt, you know how F1 takes a break for, like, a year? Do you want to keep talking about F1 even though there's no races? And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, man, no problem. Matt, do you want to talk about Star Trek Picard on a podcast that maybe 100 people will listen to? Yeah, sure, no problem. Hey, Matt. 
Do you want to do five failed podcast projects with me in 2019 that I will pick up and drop and lose enthusiasm for or just simply were bad ideas to start with? Yeah, sure. Uh, Matt is uh, an absolute legend, so please go and follow him at MattPT55 and his wife at A Weaver Writes by her books so that he can have a Ferrari. New book dropping tomorrow, just saying. At A Weaver Writes. And I have to say, uh, Amanda is a good follow on Twitter. Anyway, just in general. Uh, but what Matt does that is most important, more than anything, is he tells us who has won. Comment of the week. Comment of the week. And that is my wife singing that. So it's not just Matt that has a talented wife. My wife also does sing songs and stuff. Uh, comment of the week, Matt. How are we looking? Uh, your wife is quite talented, having uh, gotten the lovely opportunity to play some tunes with her. Yes, you've collaborated. You've played with her live. Uh, Mrs. Trumpets. Uh, Mrs. Trumpets. Mrs. Spanner's oh always... This has just gotten very Freudian. Shall I give her a... <laughs> oh, dear. Shall I give my wife a name? Nicola uh, comes and plays some uh, piano and some jazz and sings some songs for us at Missed Apex Karting. And uh, for me, Matt and Nicola playing together at those events really does make it especially you've got the adrenaline of the karting the drinks are just starting to settle in and, and those two collaborate fantastically we always have a good time uh, we do indeed and wow boy it seems like i have done a terrible job here and i must apologize because even as you were telling me this people were things like trumpets for president thank you ian frost and wowser bessems hail to trumpets and i just need to once again go through and say things like, even our moderator, Sarah, I'm sure trumpets could do an excellent blue steel. Anton Beal, trumpets so hot right now. Uzair Sayed, Matt Carcel is on point as always. They can't win. Dino Montre at Matt has never been in the same room as Matthew McConaughey. Just saying. Josh Covey, I never realized how Tony Stark you look. Bored. Give me the real comments of the week. I just got to tell you, those aren't technically eligible. So, as long as you keep on writing them, I'm going to have to continue to keep on making examples. I'm just saying that. So on to the actual, actual, um, onto the actual show here. Uh, Sven, uh, no, where shall I start? Uh, Matt, Dragon Twins. you can do it. That's, I believe in you. There are so many that I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sort through them. That's all. why I and say pick three. It does make me entertaining sometimes. I agree. Not this uh, time. Or it may be the fact that I drank all of the whiskey in this glass. Look, do you know what? We're an hour and 25 minutes in. If it goes to garbage yeah. after 125 minutes, no, that's not right. An hour and 25 minutes, then I'm fine. If, as long as the first like half an hour is okay, we're, we're good, Matt. Go on, carry on. All right. So, um, we go with, uh, Eye hammers, other elements that might make an interesting race. It's close to the North Sea, so maybe a German kite surfer might get sucked into a side pot. Uh, I can't, I can't sanction that uh, for comment of the week because I respect the safety of all kite surfers, be they German or any nationality. Uh, Dragon Twins referencing the uh, ongoing Steiner coverage on Netflix and discussing coronavirus at the same time. We look like a bunch of bleeping vankers. Continues washing hands. Okay. A la next had, season. Had swears in it, so it can't win either. Okay, fair. Uh, Neuropean is in with this tire talk is getting blown out of proportion. Nice. Yeah, but that's pretty good, right? Puns can only, um, only win if Nick Alexander is on, and he has been terrible at not only being on the show, but listening to it. He's been sending me messages going, 
you know, oh, that bit when the podcast was good and interesting, or I disagree with that. And I'm like, Nick, that was from January. But like, he's been on some like weird, like mountain trek or something. But Nick will come back soon. Don't worry. He's been saving people in the wilderness, I think. Um, Chris Fonseca is in. We just had a whole section on tires and Matt trumpets didn't say anything. Blink twice if you're being held against your will, which fair enough. Do not blink. And uh, Dragon Twins also in with discussing our bodies. That's dad strength spanners. Don't be ashamed. Do you know what? That that is exactly the comment my my wife makes when I go, oh, look at me. I look like I've, I've got a one pack. I just look like a walking barrel. She's like, you're a 40 year old dad of two. What do you really want out of life? What do you think will change if you look like a men's health model magazine cover? Indeed. And finally, we have Mark Greenhow and with you should change your handle to at Matt underscore trumpets. If you do that, you're dead to me. Pick your winner, Mr. <laughs> Trumpets. <laughs> I think we're going to have to go with Nuripian this week with whatever the heck it was he said. Where did it go? Well, this entire talk is getting blown out of fortunes. You are nailing this segment, Matt. Well done. Yeah, I'm just like, this is a disaster. There's just too much stuff on my screen. Uh, Nuripian, the winner of this week's comment of the week with this tire talk is getting blown out of proportions. Comment of the week. Whatever, we survived. And to be fair, Matt, anyone who's listening to us for the first time and is saying, what the hell is going on at the end of the show? This is a fair representation of the show. Please come and join us for the 2020 season. Do me a favor. Do like a social media tweet and, and tag us at Missed Apex F1 or on Facebook, Missed Apex Podcast, and just tell people you enjoy hanging out with us, especially after a race. We do our race review at 8 o'clock the night of the race so it's ready for your monday morning commute and you can have the same arguments here with us on the live stream as you've been having on social media or with your friends and tell someone at work as well word of mouth is essential for us to survive we're not sky sports we weren't able to go and hire every uh, auto sport journalist that felt like leaving and just create like a super team we are what we are we rely on word of mouth we have no seo power we have no cash power that said, if you are a billionaire and you're interested in getting into motorsports, do contact Spanners Ready. Oh, man. Yeah, definitely. I'm very purchasable. Please, if you are uh, more wealthy than you know what to do with, please come and support us. Or if you just appreciate independent podcasts and you would like to support them in a micro fashion, go to Missed Apex, uh, sorry, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. For $1.99, you can get a feed that removes the adverts that we put on to support this podcast. For $5 a month, which works out at less than a dollar a show, um, you can get our extra Patreon content. Uh, Matt, I, uh, Chris and I will be recording one tomorrow. Uh, and also, uh, you can join our Slack forum, which is a lot of fun. Please do choose Miss Apex to hang out with in 2020. Hopefully, we'll have a full F1 calendar and we'll have some great racing. Whoever you support, whoever you want to win, we are all F1 fans. So wherever we see you next... Be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. I feel like uh, we shouldn't exclude millionaires. 
to uh, invest in us as well, yeah. or even just thousand airs. If you've got a couple of quid flying about or even if you're just like a captain of industry middle manager with more money than you know what to do with you know maybe maybe you've you've you're recently divorced and uh and you're like ah oh, should i spend my money on new golf clubs or no just become like a really We're better than golf clubs yeah like a ridiculous like i at some point surely there should be a millionaire that comes in and goes right i'm gonna be like a uh $300 a month patron it's not happened yet but we do have a lot of generous patrons what happened to the kind, friendly outro? Oh, the uh, be kind, work, uh, work hard, be kind, have fun. That is what I say to my kids every single morning. Work hard, be kind, have fun. And I thought it would be a nice mix-up from my very aggressive... I feel it's quite aggressive, it's quite wary. Wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. It's like, for a moment, I was like, no, that's not who I am now. I'm a lovely family man, kind and cuddly. So I switched to that, but I got so many complaints. Got so many complaints, Brad. No, but Spanners, what, you can't send your kids out into the world with all this lovey-dovey crooks. But you're right, Chris. I can't send my kids out into the world thinking they have to be all fluffy and nice. It's, it's a, a dog-eat-dog world, Spanners. You think, you think I'm in the position I am now because people I like people and people like me? No. No, no I, one I, likes I, you. I was all brown envelopes. Everyone hates you. Right. Yeah, exactly. I bribed everyone it's, involved. Yeah, I send my kids out there with a shit. I, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. <laughs> that was just that one time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.